So last week we introduced some really basic themes that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Like what is worship? What's a Lutheran perspective on worship? And what's the kind of dominant worship pattern in much of the United States today? And this week we're going to drill down a little bit further and we're going to talk about some specific elements of liturgy. And this week we're going to be talking about speech and worship, which means the reading of scripture, preaching and prayer, and maybe something about hymns and songs too. The Lutheran liturgy has four main parts to it, gathering, word, meal, and sending. So if you don't want to overthink it, just think of it like a dinner party. You invite everyone inside, you talk for a little bit, you have a meal, and then when you're ready to go to bed, you send everyone home. And at the center of that second part, word, is the readings from the Bible. The way we talk about the Bible in contemporary culture is interesting because the capital T Bible is really an anthology. It's one book, but it's really a collection of books that have been approved to be read in public worship and that have been bound together because it's more convenient than having a few dozen individual books floating around the sacristy. The Bible is more of a library than it is a book. And we read the Bible in worship because the Bible, or the Word of God, is how God encounters us. When the Bible is read aloud, it becomes the Word of God thanks to the Holy Spirit, and it's able to create faith in us. It's worth pointing that out because it's different than the current trend of reading the Bible as literature. Reading the Bible as literature means reading the books of the Bible within themselves, or without any presupposition that they're witnesses to something beyond themselves. And that's perfectly fine and good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. So the Bible contains histories and poetry and narrative and lament and legal codes and all different kinds of writing but they're all witnesses in different ways to Jesus Christ, who's at the center of the scriptures. One of the earliest descriptions of Christian worship we have basically describes the reading of scripture the same way then as it is today. Justin, who was writing in the second century, says that there was the reading from the prophets or the apostles for as long as they had time, and then the presider, this is his phrase coming up, admonishes us and invites us into the pattern of these good things. The way we select what scripture to read is with a lectionary, which is just a collection of readings. We currently use the Revised Common Lectionary. And the lectionary has at least two primary purposes, one of which is so the church can gather around the Word of God together. It's not something we just do as a congregation, it's something we do as a church around the world. And the second is so preachers don't just fill their own agenda. So year one is from Matthew's Gospel, year two is from Mark's, Year three is Luke, and then John is mixed into all three years. And the Old Testament reading is usually chosen to match thematically with the gospel. And the psalm is sung as a response to the Old Testament reading. And the epistle reading is normally from a series working through a book, but not always. And after the reading of scripture, we have a sermon. And the sermon is probably the longest portion of speech we have in the service. It's worth starting out with what a sermon is not, at least hopefully. A sermon should not be just the experiences of the pastor. It also shouldn't just be the pastor's advice on general good life hacks. It's a freely composed, which means original, type of speech that opens up the readings so that Christ is more clearly proclaimed through them. Part of what a good sermon does is it opens up the text in a way that the assembly can more clearly see Christ in them. And since a sermon cracks open the text to show how they witness to the risen Christ, They should always have a promise in them, 
or something declarative or an announcement in them. They shouldn't just be about people, they should be about God. So the word has two main forms. One comes from scripture, and the other comes from the preacher. A sermon illustrates how, through these texts, we are shown God's grace in Christ and may trust in it. So the sermon helps show the scripture text to be living creatures, and not just historical documents. After reading the scripture and having prayer, we have the prayers of interception. After reading the scripture and hearing a sermon, we have the prayers of intercession. When we pray, we intercede before God for the needs of others. So we name the promises of God we heard in the text as we lift up the real needs of our world. We pray as a community, which means not silently, for people outside the church, which means not just us. These prayers are usually led by an assisting minister, which is another sign of the priesthood of all believers, that we all intercede before God for the needs of one another. Now, it's much easier to write bad prayers than good ones. It's tempting to turn them into mini-sermons or just partisan speeches. So every week we pray for the mission of the church, for the creation and our vocations in it, for peace among the nations, and for people in need. And we often add in a couple of others as well, maybe one about the assembly. But the core idea here is that the prayers are current, outward-looking, and focused on real needs more than our own proposed solutions to them. And after the prayers, we exchange a sign of peace as we offer one another a sign of what God has just given to us. So this is the second main part of liturgy, the word. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about the other two main parts, which are the bath, which is baptism, and the table, which is about Eucharist. Mm-hmm.